Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Hello, and welcome back to Vice and Easy. I do apologize. This podcast is coming out a little later than usual. Still on Friday, just not at this time I really like on Friday. Um, as you can tell, I'm a little bit under the weather, and it is no one's fault but mine. <laughs> so, turns out, living for off caffeine, cigarettes, and pretzels for two weeks uh, isn't great for your body, but it was great. I was able to submit my speed bartending competition application with a time of 37 seven seconds making four drinks from ice to garnish uh, so it did all pay off just unfortunately the toll has been taken on my body but however I do apologize for being a little bit late should be on time next week and in the future and let's get down to the episode this week we're breaking down golden triangle part one season one episode 14 and the first two three minutes of this episode opens on as I like to call a thirst trap Edward James almost in a speedo swimming in the ocean. It looks to be like in Southeast Asia, it has like the little, um, the little, not umbrellas, they're like umbrellas made of straw and bamboo. And obviously he runs into his wife while swimming in the ocean. He swims out to get her. Unfortunately, it turns out it's just a dream, but it does have a pretty dreamy soundtrack to accompany it. That song is called Catch the Wind by The Blues Project. And all the gifts, all the pictures you could ever want of Edward James Olmos. <laughs> Swimming in the ocean, aka Selena's dad. You can see them on the Vice and Easy Gallery at viceandeasypodcast.com. Or you can check in the descriptors of the show notes underneath the episode. All right, so as we open up, we're opening up at Castillo's house, which is actually this beautiful paradise of a house. Tons of leaves, tons of green, tons of shade. And then it looks to be like backing into a canal and he has a little boat. It's this gorgeous house. I do not know how much Miami-Dade lieutenants get paid. I guess maybe he got a big payout from working for the government, which we'll get into later. But it's just this gorgeous, very zen, calming tranquil place that you don't really see in Miami Vice a lot. Usually, you know, it's kind of the opposite of lots of lights and neon glass blocks, all things that I personally love. So it is nice to see that Castillo's personality is reflected in his house and his decor and his styling choices. And I think that's very cool. And as we're at Castillo's house, Crockett and Tubbs come in. They want a little bit, know a little bit more about what's going in. They offer to work and help to find his wife. However, Castillo declines. He wants Crockett and Tubbs not to do his own personal work. He wants them to focus on their own cases. And they press a little bit further in this next clip. If this Lao Lee family is responsible for moving a third of the smack out of Southeast Asia, and he's here, then he's our business. And if your lady's part of his orbit, She's our business, too. Por favor, Martin. Let us see. I really like that scene for a plethora of reasons. I really like the wind chimes in the background. It's very calming and soothing. Again, you know, very befitting of Castillo's reserved personality and a man who definitely thinks before he speaks and doesn't speak unless 
the words really mean something, which is the complete opposite of me. And I really like Crockett and Tubbs trying to get to know their lieutenant better and really try to, as they say, let us in. They really want to help him and be there for him, but they can't do it unless he actually lets them in to help. So I thought it was a great scene all around. And as Crockett and Tubbs leave, Castillo kind of jokes, hey guys, call next time. Don't just show up at his house unannounced. And you'll see this, I don't know if it's a blocking or a director choice or it's specifically meant for that character. So Castillo's back is originally turned against Crockett and Tubbs as they're coming in. And we'll see this again in the episode. I think also this is very much a trope before cell phones where going to deliver a message to someone had to be in person. And it was just a very stoic way of receiving news to have your back facing someone. I personally think it's a little bit rude, but of course it looks great on camera and on film. I don't think this is, that was a day-to-day occurrence. And back at the precinct, our girl Trudy and her fabulous nails, which you can see I made a gif of on the Vice and Easy podcast gallery. Um, she's getting a little bit more background information. They're looking for a guy named Menton, who was one of Lao Lee's top men, also worked for, as they say, quote unquote, the company, meaning the CIA. As we learn later, Castillo was working for the DEA. Actually, that's what we learned in Golden Triangle Part 1. So we're seeing that we have these two government agencies. And I don't know why they call the CIA the company. I guess we'll get a little bit more into that backstory as the series progresses. But let's go back to this. So they're trying to find a little bit more information. They're kind of getting a lot of red herrings. For example, they're getting like a consultancy business um, registered to a P.O. box in Washington. However, Menton and Lowley weren't smart enough to cover all their tracks, as you can see in this next clip. If an agent never gets out of the company, the company would know where he is. They don't even talk to themselves, let alone us. His consultancies may be a blind, but his home address sure isn't. I got it right here. How the hell did you find it? My extraordinary skill, the telephone book. And I think that's a great line for so many reasons. Sometimes it is just very easy to source information that you would think would be difficult. Like if this guy is going through all this work to cover his tracks and have shell company after shell company, hide his assets, launder all this money, and then you just, you're posted in the phone book. And you could remove yourself from the phone book. That's very common back in the day when we had phone books. You could still remove your information online. So I thought that was very funny. Also, Crockett makes this great smirk that I also made a gif of. I took a ton of gifs, a ton of pictures, a ton of media. That was kind of going to be my um, mea culpa for releasing this episode late, was that I will just inundate you with tons of media from this episode. It's a very stylish episode. We even have old school Lamborghinis. We have tons of neon. Can't, I can't wait. I'm already doing the podcast for this episode. I'm still excited about what's to come. So that is a great feeling to have. And so now Crockett and Tubbs are tailing Menton, trying to find out, basically following him, getting his, picking up his dry cleaning, running his errands. They finally stop (laughs) while he's at what could be a brothel. (laughs) And once you see Menton, you are like, yes, this is exactly how I picture a white guy who, quote unquote, goes to Southeast Asia to do business. It is... Try not to be mean, but it's exactly what you think of. Please go to the gallery right now if you are not driving. I think I'm going to make a shirtless pic of him 
the episode cover for this episode because it's just too funny, just too stereotypical. Well, they pick him up, they bring him back into the precinct, and boy, oh boy, do Castillo and Menton have some old business to take care of in this next clip. Who ratted my teamer? Castillo, your problem was you never knew when to back off. You DEA bozos wanted to interdict opium at the source. Fine, interdict anybody's opium you want. But we told you, do not interdict Lao Lee's opium, because his junk was financed by politicians in Bangkok, because we needed to keep them clowns happy. But no, not you. You're by the book on the straight and narrow and willing to compromise our political interests just to knock over a little bit of number three. Quick note, if you're wondering what interdict means, just because it's not a commonly used word, it is very much more of a legal word. The definition of interdict is to intercept and prevent the movement of a prohibited commodity or person. So in this case, it makes 100% they're interdicting the flow of the drugs, whereas normally you'd say interject, stop, you know, other words. So interdict, that is our new word of the day. There are lots of words of the day with this episode. I was actually very impressed with the vocabulary used for Golden Triangle Part 2. So Menta keeps going a little bit further, saying that, you know, people who are going to do smack and heroin are going to get it wherever they're going to get it, whether it's Lao Lee's, whether it's coming out of China, and kind of just keeps going and going and going. Castillo says that tons of opium were coming from the mountains. And then this is where Menton goes off in this next clip. What does make a difference? is the opium your people busted caused political problems for us in Thailand. And in case you ain't boned up on recent history lately, that happens to be the last piece of real estate we got access to in that part of the world. You wanna know who ratted you out? I did. I ratted you out, you arrogant bastard. You set up the ambush the caravan. I give them your position, your strength, and they hit you from the back. <laughs> Let him go. So that struggle that you hear at the end of that clip, that is Castillo choking out, rightfully so, choking out Menton and being pulled off by Crockett and Tubbs. Once it kind of cools down a bit, he asks where Lali is hiding and where his wife is. Menton says that Lali isn't hiding, that he's actually waiting for Castillo's call, which, wow. And Menton makes one further dig at Castillo and says that basically Lowley is waiting for his call because Castillo isn't a threat. And this is a theme that also continues this episode. I do not know how Castillo is able to maintain his calm, not only realizing that his late wife is not so deceased, than to just have everybody constantly disrespect him except for his own team, which is great. I really like the team bonding in this episode. Yeah, I don't know how Castillo wasn't just choking everybody in sight because it gets more disrespectful as the episode goes on. So Crockett and Tubbs, along with Castillo, head off to go find Lau Lee. They take Tubbs's car. And I thought this was a nice note. Look who's offering to let Castillo sit in the front. I was trying to stop was a Class A violator, General Lau Lee. I'll get in the back. That's really nice. That's a really nice gesture from Crockett. I know that Crockett doesn't, he's not arrogant at all. Crockett isn't self-centered, so I just thought that was just a nice reminder. Just watch him offer to let Castillo sit in the front. He's not even driving. I love it. I love this episode. 
So Castillo explains a little bit more about the backstory that the Golden Trial refers to the opium scene and explains a little bit more about the ambush, basically, that someone he worked for. Oh, sorry. Bright just fell on my lights and I could hear it from outside that a man that he worked with for three years died in his arms when they weren't sure if he was killed. They grenaded his house. So he ended up thinking that his wife had died in the bombing. And then she thought that he had died in the ambush. And so thinking that he was a widower, he left Thailand five years ago and came to Miami. And overhearing this, Crockett is just appalled that two American government agencies, the CIA and the DEA, remember mentioned his company, he's CIA, Castillo was working with the DEA, would do that to one another. And Castillo has an excellent response. You were working for the DEA both American agencies. Different objectives. Man, it's nuts. No, it's not. Southeast Asia. Let's go. And that quote is just very visually satisfying. It's the exact same second when he says, let's go, he puts his wafers on. Ah, lovely. And again, I am no historian by any means. I only have a BA in history. However, I did research a lot about American government agencies abroad. I'm going to put it that way. So I am not at all surprised that this happened between the CIA and the DEA or that any shady operations would happen on foreign soil with American government agencies. However, let's carry on. We have now headed to the outskirts of Miami. We are meeting on a long pillar of dirt. With a fancy limousine and Tubbs' Coup de Ville with some high-rises, not even that many high-rises, like kind of mid-rise office buildings in the background. I have no idea geographically where it's located. Um, I'm sure that obviously 40 years ago, everything has changed in Miami. Similar to other cities, you know, even like Los Angeles, Toronto, a picture from 40 years ago. You could pinpoint where it is, but all those buildings will have been demolished. New condos would have been put up. New buildings would have been put up, you know, and so forth and so forth. But now is this time to meet with Lao Li. And wow, Lao Li, incredibly erudite, incredibly scathing. So much respect for this man. Listen to this next clip. A narrow moralistic perspective. That is why you will always be a local policeman. And that is why I can move 28 people, have trust accounts in more countries than you have fingers and toes, and why I am able to come into your city when I want to, under the protection of one of your federal agencies, and you can't do a thing about it. And if someone should steal my hubcaps, I'll demand that your little police department find them and bring them back. Oh, man. Again, I do not know how Castillo is just not choking everybody in this episode. I I would just cry if that happened to me. I would be just so hurt, so despondent. But again, I'm not Castillo. I'm not made of steel. This is why we respect Castillo. And this is why he's one of the best characters on Miami Vice. Because he knows how to play this game. He is playing chess. He is not playing checkers. Uh, it's also funny that Lowley, you know, <laughs> he jokes that he's not here in Miami to do any harm or break any laws. He's here to retire. Isn't that what people do in Miami? <laughs> I thought that was very clever. However, in addition to being strong and being able to take any harsh thing that comes his way, Castillo also knows what's up. And he presses Lowley on why he brought Mei Ying, his wife, here to Miami. 
I brought her here out of benevolence. So that I wouldn't come for you, out of fear you'd harm her. I intend harm to no one. It is against the law. I don't believe you. What you believe and don't believe is your problem, isn't it? And also, don't forget, Loudly does say that he's brought in and protected by an American agency. I'm going to guess it's the CIA. So keep that all in mind. And in the end, Lauli ends up giving Castillo Mayang's address, and he denies that he's using her as a hostage. And now we cut to Lauli's house, which very beautiful, spacious. It's not the incredibly tacky, over-the-top cocaine palace stuff that I adore, which we get to later in this episode, because I got a, like a 13 out of 10. I got like a 20 out of 10 coming up. This is a little bit more subdued, elegant, very white, very spacious, not cluttered. And so Lao Li has brought in his family to have a meeting where he's going to tell them they need to play by the rules in this next clip. He will seize any opportunity to cause us difficulty. It is very very important no one violate laws in time he will lose interest but for now you must be very very careful hmm let's see how this plays out message (laughs) all right all funny jokes aside we're now getting to actually a very emotionally well-acted scene castillo goes over to Ma ying's house And it is also wild to me that you would not call first. I know that a lot of people like to surprise their partner after a long time. However, if someone thought I was dead, I would like to give them a call before I see them in person and spare their system of going into shock because I cannot imagine this happening. It's a very sweet, tender scene. They look very close. There seems to be a lot of chemistry between them. As you can see, their faces are very close to each other. Their mouths are very close to each other. You can tell they really miss each other. However, not all is meant to be. He's my son. I'm married now. It is a very poignant, beautiful scene. And I made a gif of this because I thought it was really touching, actually. Castillo's hugging her so hard, and you can see him smile. You can see, like, a little bit of the heartbreak in the smile. You can see that he's genuinely happy that she's okay, but obviously he's heartbroken. I found you, only to lose you all over again. But I'm glad you're happy. We would be happy too, Martin. This is so tough. And at this point in the scene, they're sitting on the couch, holding each other's hands, leaning in very close to one another. The husband obviously is not around. (laughs) And I would not even know how to navigate if someone who I thought was dead, if my husband who I thought was dead had just come back to surprise me by knocking on the door. I do not know how I would react. And they both thought each other was dead. This is it. They both moved on because they thought there was never any chance. They both thought they had lost their partner. So 
I understand the closest. I understand the affection because you never get to say goodbye in those chances. And this is a chance that unfortunately they have to reconnect a little bit. But unfortunately, it's not to the stand, not to the way that they want it to be. You know, she's married with a child and Castillo is an honorable man is not going to go against that. And so after that beautiful scene, we are once again reunited with the spoiled grandchildren of Lao Li, who, surprise, surprise, did not listen to their grandfather at all. The grandfather, who I assume, is bankrolling all of their their fun car, their fun outfits. The car I was able to ID, that is a Lamborghini Contouch. It's C-O-N-T-A-U-C-H. I'm going to look to see... If I am pronouncing that correctly, because it did not feel, it sounds very weird to say contach. Con- there we go. That sounds a little bit better. It's not at all, maybe it's not pronounced the way it's spelled. It's a very cool car. It has the pop up doors. Very cool. I definitely, obviously, I made a gift of it. So, surprise, surprise, they go into a restaurant and they're making a deal. They're making a deal about a 50 kilo shipment. So, obviously, they're going to be law abiding citizens throughout this entire episode. Speaking of spoiled grandchildren, back at the precinct, Castillo is telling everybody to survey, to watch, to keep track of everybody in Lowley's family and circle in this next clip. They come in contact with. If they sit next to a guy in the movies, I want to make run on him. If a Lau family member even jaywalks, I want to know about it. He also mentions that he sees Lao Li's long plan, that he brought Mei Ying in to take her away and to kill her if they got to Lao Li. So he's basically using her as a human shield, but not in a direct contact sort of manner. Basically using her, as Castillo said, as leverage. So Gina and Trudy are doing surveillance outside the store where his granddaughters are shopping. Zito and Switek are in Crockett's Stinger by the house. And that's where Mor- sorry, not Morton. Menton is meeting Lao Li and telling him that Casillo has a very deep surveillance on them. And that the nieces are shopping in stores known to launder money, thereby putting the whole family at risk. The grandsons are outside. They want to show Menton the new horn they put on their car, which once again, like the grandsons, very subdued, very elegant, and not going to draw unnecessary attention attention at all. Hey, there they are. Hey, Dale, check this out. You got it? Uh, just a bow. You're going to love this. Okay, give it a try. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yeah, it's great. It's not too smart. Take it off. This kind of thing only attracts attention. This is Miami, not Hong Kong. This is not your playground. Okay, not to switch subjects, but actually speaking of Hong Kong, when I was watching this episode, I was like, these accents don't sound Thai. They don't sound real either. However, so I did a little bit of research. The two grandsons, both born in the United States, again, two, and the actor that played Lao Li was born in China. Which makes sense because when I hear Lao Li speak, I very much get that Hong Kong cadence and that very advanced vocabulary and grammar. There's this joke that Russell Peters had where 
Hong Kong, Hong Kong. People from Hong Kong speak better English than us. And it's, it is true because he made this one joke. He was like, oh yeah, me and my friend went to the store the other day and the guy's like, your friend and I. And I was like, exactly. Like, it's kind of like talking to Germans and Dutch where you're speaking English and their English is so much more advanced and grammatically correct than yours. You're like... Oh, maybe it's time to go back to the drawing board on this one. So that's why I want to do a little bit of recon on the actors and see where they were born from. Obviously, this episode does contain some offensive stereotypes that I did not include in the recordings. There is one joke that I did include that has aged a little poorly, but I was trying to be a little bit sensitive and not put anything too harmful out there. I do think it is funny to look back at these clips and what we thought was cool or funny or avant-garde at the time and look back at them in the lens of now 2022 but however when it gets like a little too mickey rourke and breakfast at tiffany's i don't want to put that out there on my podcast and now we switch scenes now we're at the super iconic group dinner scene i took a million gifts and a million pictures you'll definitely see this on the instagram and the tiktok it's basically the long shots with a neon square window frame in the background Castillo in the middle, Crockett and Tubbs right next to Castillo, then Zito and Switek, then Gina and Trudy at the end, all having a group dinner. Basically, Castillo's letting them know that he wants them to focus on their own cases, including Lombard. So he, we're not done with Lombard yet, just FYI. Again, this is before, in 1984, we're doing this live, whereas now we have the episode list on the DVD. So we know that Lombard isn't gone just yet, but it's kind of a nice little reminder in this episode. And that he doesn't want to use the Force as his own personal detective agency, which I very much respect. Castillo is very much a stand-up, by-the-book lieutenant, and I really respect showing that on TV, contrasting all the corruption that even he's dealing with, not only in this episode, but throughout the entire series run. But I'm a policeman. I enforce the law. Equally applied, no special cases. Maybe it sounds naive, but it's all I've got. It's what I believe in. And it's who I am. Then what are we talking about? A leave of absence until I can build a case against Lowley. And so with that possibility looming around, they want to get a little bit more intel. So Gina and Trudy go down to the burlesque club where there is, I took a, a gift of this, obviously, there is a nurse dancing on stage and she puts her stethoscope on Nogi's chest and he starts freaking out. Just a really good gift. Beautiful outfit, beautiful decor. They always make strip clubs look very fancy, flashy, and more artistic than they usually are in real life. So I, I very much enjoy these Miami Vice strip club sets. They asked Nogi some questions about people bringing in opium, heroin, etc. Very unflattering and racist and dated impression is coming out from Nogi. We're going to ignore that. And we're going to cut scene where Zito and Switek are pulling up into a burger joint. They're putting on the bug... <sighs> the bug glasses, the bug sign on their undercover van, and some really boring bug jokes. But they're there to meet Nogi, and Nogi greets them <laughs> And probably the funniest Nogi line I've ever heard. Hey, but ain't Yogi and Boo Boo. Come to fill their picnic basket. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Honestly, it fits. 
Yogi and Boo Boo metaphor fits. <laughs> oh my god. So Nogi ends up kind of giving them um, actually quite a solid tip. He mentions the name uh, Howie Wong and mentions the restaurant, mentions that there might be a little bit more of an opium trade going on than first pierced the eye, that some might be rolling in. The quotes, streets have been humming. Zito and Swiatek then pull up to the restaurant and surprise, surprise, the very subtle low-key Lamborghini is parked outside. And speaking of things that have aged poorly and quite racist, here is Zito and Swiatek's response. Well, the nerd man came through. Yeah, let's get him a solid gold egg roll. I need a noise that is akin to Diaz Samaro's problematic light, but that is not stealing their problematic light because that's exactly what I want to use for some of these clips, but I don't want to plagiarize from Diaz Samaro. And so after the grandkids speed off, Zeno and Swiatek go into the restaurant to looking for Howie Wong. Howie Wong makes a joke that people usually mistake him for Robert Redford. They show their badges. And because Howie Wong already has previous record they bring him in and guess who's excited to see him at the precinct none other than james sonny crockett hello howie how are you babe how's the restaurant business here it's getting a little hot in the kitchen howie's got a hell of an interesting story lieutenant and he's real anxious to tell it isn't that right howie bring him in the room come with me sweetheart and the backstory of howie wong is revealed that crockett's already busted him for counterfeit, that he's on probation. So let's get down to it. Lieutenant Castillo is giving them a breakdown of the stakeout and how it's gonna go when the guys come, AKA the grandsons. Let's not forget, it's the spoiled grandsons who are coming in to make this deal at Howie's restaurant. Then I obviously took a gift of this. My favorite thing is rifling through a briefcase full of bands of cash. What a time to be alive. And as they're looking through this briefcase full of cash, the deal's about to go down. Guess who interrupts the party? Of course, it's the Vice Squad. They all come in, guns blazing. Shoot it occurs. The two grandsons try to run out at the front of the restaurant. They're stopped by Crockett and Tubbs. And about, looks to be like four police cars. Like, it looks to be like a very big steak on. I'm very surprised they didn't hear everybody pulling up while they were in the back of the kitchen. They're taken in. Also, please go, I think I took a gift of this as well, of their hair. It's very flock of seagulls where you kind of have the bangs down in the middle and then you have the sides flipped up into like one giant curl that's held by gel. So that was very apropos of the time. Very much a time capsule this episode. Not only just the entire series, but this episode especially because we're not even there yet. We have way more to get through. Now we're going to Lao Li's house where Castillo and an unnamed gentleman are taking a clear glass elevator. Yes, just like the house in Scarface where Elvira comes down. Clear glass elevator to deliver the loose to Lao Li. Even better, once again, I mentioned the trope of standing and having somebody come whisper bad news into your ear while you're still looking off into the distance. This happens again. Lao Li is getting the news that he has visitors, and not only just visitors, it's the lieutenant of the Miami Vice Force. He's coming in to let him know that his grandsons have been arrested. And Lao Li kind of plays a cool, 
but you can see he's seething. I took a gif of him gripping the cane. It kind of reminds me of the Arthur meme of just like the clenched fist. So you can tell he is seething. So not only have his spoiled grandsons done something stupid, foregone all the advice they've been given, they're putting him and his family in hot water and did the one thing he told them not to do, break the law or violate the law. And then obviously worrying about the safety of Mei Ling, Castillo goes back to the house, surveilling. He's on lookout on his on, on his feet. Tells the guy that no one goes in, no one goes out. Then we cut to 12, no, I don't want to say 12, 15 out of 10 cocaine pallets. <laughs> this is Menton's place. I cannot get over it. I don't even know if I can describe everything. There's white statues. There's glass blocks. There's neon underneath the steps. So, you know, the vertical part of the step it's clear and you can see the neon lights like the neon pipes underneath it what else is there there's a state of the art sound system there's doors leading into the bedroom there's silk there's a glass table obviously with um a bullet empty bullet full of cocaine what else does this condo have it's honestly just missing like a hot tub in the corner and it would be a 20 out of 10 i cannot get over this is it's my favorite thing in the world. And then Miami Vice fan page asked this week, like, oh, do you think glass blocks are tacky or glass blocks are cool? And I was like, this condo is my life because they put a picture of Menton's condo on there. I was like, this is my life. Like, this is this is all I aspire to have. But fortunately, I'm just, I was just born too late to really get into this architecture. Obviously, I could bring it back. You know, it's never too late to bring it back. And so Crockett and Tubbs are like slowly walking their way up to the door. There's a great, scene where they can hear people laughing in the bedroom so crockett and tubbs start laughing and then tubbs puts his finger to his mouth going shh just a great picture you can see a lot of chemistry they both look super happy they're smiling incredibly handsome i just thought it was a great picture of crockett and tubbs they bust up at the door once again our boy menton our white guy doing business in southeast asia naked (laughs) on a bed with two girls, another guy, silk sheets, lights in the background, champagne glasses. Just what a wild ride. So thankfully, Menton does put on a robe, but the robe doesn't cover him. So you can still see his belly and his hairy chest. <laughs> um, I, my apologies to the actor who played Menton. Like, I know this is why he was cast, but it's still not the light that I would want to be shone in in front of millions of people for years to come on network television. So they're giving Menton some bad news and good news at the same time. Good news for them. The two of his associates have been busted and picked up on charges. Menton, again, blows it off, thinks that he's untouchable. Where Croc and Tufts kind of bring him down to earth and mention my favorite statute, the Rico statute. Been out of the country too long or what? Haven't you heard of the Omnibus Crime Bill of 1984? Surely you're aware of the Rico statutes. See, what we're going to do, buddy, is we're going to associate you to these two guys and their little drug deal, you see. And then we're going to show receipt of IgG, ill-gotten gains. And then guess what? We're going to start confiscating all your assets. Correction for those of you listening at home, it was actually the Omnibus Crime Bill of 1968, not 1984. I think they just kind of said that for effect to kind of rub it in that, you know, this episode was taking place in 1984. 
And like I mentioned before, this is actually what happens with Rico is that they have the right to confiscate all your assets that could have been purchased with funds that were obtained illegally. And organized crime, it's also a way to get people to snitch on other people faster because you take away their assets, you take away their ability to get a good lawyer, they're much more willing to speak. And as they're leaving, Crockett kind of makes a little kiss and a little wave and I made a gift of that as well. Just an amazing apartment. And this is also when Crockett unscrews the fake bullet or like the fake capsule with cocaine, puts the cocaine on the table and blows it away. Rico standing right next to the sound system. It is just, I should have just made like a five minute YouTube video of just his apartment. Maybe I could do that. that that'll be my project. Since I owe you guys a little bit more content since I was I'm delivering this late today. That's what I'll do. That's all I'll get working on that. Now they're back at the precinct. We have what I assume is either the DA or the DA's assistant. She's dressed very beautifully in like a blush pink suit with, I hate using this word, but it's what's called a pussy bow. Uh, it's kind of like a scarf. Um, looks very elegant. And she says that she's put forth a no bail motion. And because of who the kids are, it's going to be easy to grant because, you know, you have spoiled children making drug deals who have the money and the means and the passports and the fake passports to escape and evade the law. So she wants to put the no bail motion in place. However, Castillo doesn't agree with this, which shocks everybody in this next clip. Don't enter a no bail motion. What? Aren't you going to use those two for leverage against Lao Lee? No. Retract the motion. Sure. Now, without giving it away, I kind of could see where this was going. So they have Menton, who is now going to be willing to work with them, thereby using a wire. So keep that in mind. So why do they want the grandkids on the street and not in jail? Again, think about who they're after. They're going after Lao Lee. They're not going after the grandson specifically. So keep that in mind as we get through the rest of this episode. Speaking of the grandsons... They're being put into a car by goons. I just put goons. I should have said hired goons to really make it a Simpsons reference. Hired goons put into a car and brought to a warehouse. This is also where Menton is. And remember, Menton is the one who's wearing a wire. Wink, wink. Don't forget this. And naturally, Lao Li is extremely upset. Not only have his grandkids compromise their own safety, but his safety and the safety of his family. And also given more ammunition to Castillo and the rest of the vice department. Lowley is not happy. You have compromised the whole security of this family. What do you have to say? Hey, old you to preach to us, old man. You made your fortune. You built your dynasty. It's our generation's turn. Why can't we create our own? Huh? Tell me. You speak to me this way? You are rebellious because you've broken your filial obligations to me. Therefore, my paternal benevolence towards you ends right now. Take them. Kill them. My paternal benevolence towards you ends now. That is an amazing quote. And like I said, the like the very educated vocabulary just adds more credence to how scary and powerful this man really is. 
love it. I, I could see this coming from a mile away. And I'm not saying that to brag. I was just like, he's going to have them killed. They completely disrespected him. They put everything in jeopardy. They didn't want to listen to advice. They're donezo. So... However, they don't get killed. They're just going to get brought off to be killed. Vice Squad comes in, shootout, takes them down, save the grandsons. And guess what? Now they finally have Lao Li where they got them. Guess who's also going under with them? Wrong! You broke the law. This is Miami, Minton, not Asia. Love to see it. Love to see somebody as slimy as Menton get exactly what he deserved. Now, I'm going to play this clip of Lao Li and Castillo's exchange because I think it is incredibly interesting to hear how they think about each other from this perspective. You knew I would go to any length to not break the law. Including attempting to commit murder. Old enemies come to know one another very well over the years. And there comes regard, even for an adversary. Really? Yes. Maybe our relationship will continue. The adversarial part? Ooh, I really want to highlight that as well. I can see what Lali is saying, that he wants the relationship to continue. Thereby, he wants to work with Castillo, bribe him in order to get back out. That's how I'm interpreting it. I'm not sure if that's how you interpret it. That's how I'm interpreting it. So I do really like that Castillo emphasized the adversarial part, meaning that there is no chance for any kind of arrangement professionally or otherwise speaking, that they would continue to be adversaries. I'm very proud of Castillo in this episode. Number one, for just not choking everybody out who was disrespectful and me to him, because that's what I would have done. But for the way he was able to play chess with such a scary, intelligent mastermind such as Lao Li. And with that, Castillo puts Lao Li into the cop car and watches him be driven off. Respect. Now let's go from victory to heartbreak in this next scene. We're going to the airport where Castillo is escorting Mai Ying and her husband to fly back to Thailand. And the husband, very polite, very well-spoken, very thankful for what Castillo has done for his family in this next clip. I wish things had worked out for you here. I'm sorry that they didn't. And I'm sorry for those things that haven't worked out for you. We wish you good fortune, Lieutenant. Thank you. And I really love her dress in this scene. It's a mixture of pink, purple, orange, and textures while she's holding the baby. And it's very sweet, so as she walks up to the plane. She's no longer holding the baby. I think the husband has taken the son with them up up to the airplane. She looks back really wistfully at Castillo, says nothing, and then gets back on the plane with her husband to fly back to Thailand. That hurt. And that was just very well done. I really appreciated the nuanced acting in these scenes where you can see that there's so much that wants to be said, but out of respect. Castillo is a stand-up guy. He's not going to get involved with the married woman. She's not going to cheat on her husband. But the flame is still burning. And I think that's a very complicated matter to navigate through. And they did it really well with the acting in these episodes, in this episode specifically. And then we get to one of the most iconic lines in the entire episode. Castillo finally shows a little bit more personality in this next clip. And 
the months we've worked together. Have you ever heard me say I need a drink? Uh-uh. Good. Take me to a bar. <laughs> and that's how the end episode ends. Great episode. Great episode all around. Great acting. Great style. Great delivery. Great writing. Great direction. Great set design. Great costumes. Love it all. And that was Golden Triangle Part 2. And oh my, I had 27 clips of dialogue cut. I think I only used 25. And then I think I have 52 images and GIFs, if not more. (laughs) That was just a very media-heavy episode. But again, it was a little bit longer than usual. When I was doing the uh, GIF captures, it says that episode ran 48 minutes. So a lot longer than the standard 42. So you know, you got six extra minutes of plot, six extra minutes of costumes, six extra minutes of Lamborghinis. So... Thank you for bearing with me. Unfortunately, this tea, I don't really, um, this tea, this week, there's not really a lot of Vice tea. I couldn't really find anything too scandalous on any of the actors. The gentleman who played Menton will show up later, or showed up later in Crime Story, again with Michael Mann. And the first grandson, the uh, louder one, I'll put that that way, the one who has more of a speaking role, the one who tells off his father, tells off his grandfather. He was also in Big Trouble in Little China and Straight Time as the grocery clerk with Dustin Hoffman. I was like, oh, where do I know him from? And that was not dubbed. I think that was actually their direction for the accent, which no comment on that, but it was 1984. Now let's get into another incredibly media heavy and long segment I'm sure of. And let's start best dress by focusing on the best least dress. That is, of course, Edward James Olmos in a Speedo, frolicking in the ocean for a good solid three minutes as we open this episode. He's going to be my number one. Number two, actually, it's a very female-centric episode. Number two, I was actually going to make it a tie between the skate hop and the nurse then number three trudy's blouse and earrings so you see a little bit of it when she's doing the recon but when we're sitting in the precinct back again we have it's kind of like a lime green or chartreuse maybe chartreuse is more of an accurate color with um kind of like a bright pattern and then she has these nice big pink earrings but again trudy always looks 10 out of 10 but she just looks amazing here on this episode number four I am going to have to say my Ying at the airport. If not, I would bump her up because she looks so beautiful in that color combination. The pink really suits her. You can see the dress is kind of textured, really suits her body, light, flowy, very feminine. And then fifth place, I'm going to put the DA in her blush pink suit outfit. So the men are also dressed beautifully. Tubbs looks gorgeous in the navy blue and coral, it's more more akin to a pink, but it's kind of like a coral, very soft. Or maybe I'd say like it's a sherbet color, kind of like a pinky orange mix. And obviously Don Johnson looks so good. I took a picture of him when Castillo announces that he wants to drop the no bail motion, where Don Johnson is just, sorry, Crockett, Don Johnson, same thing. He's just in a white cutoff t-shirt, like kind of like his undershirt that he wears under his suits. You can see his gun holster. You can see it's a little bit unbuttoned and he just looks back. Just so handsome in that scene. So just, I'm, no, I'm kind of rambling on here, but everybody wins. <laughs> and going through music, 
I'm going to be completely honest. I actually thought that Jan Hammer's two instrumental bits, you have Golden Triangle, which is throughout the episode, and then the more high-paced one that is at the end of the warehouse, where we heard in the background of Castillo's talk with Lao Lee, that is called The Trial. I thought those were way better than any of the songs used in the episode. None of the songs in the episode were top 40, so they're not songs that you would instantly recognize. As much as I did like that intro, um, the intro song, Catch the Wind, where... EGO. Um, Edward James almost is walking into the sea and swimming and his little thirst trap. As much as I enjoyed that, like these aren't songs that I would listen to on repeat, but I would totally be driving and listen to Golden Triangle or The Trial. So other music used in this episode, Water Music 2 by Fast Forward. That's the iconic dinner scene. Then Poison Ivy by The Coasters, which is at the strip club with the nurse. Hello, nurse. And then Mr. Lee by the Bobettes when they're at the um, skate hop drive-in. Yeah, I'd say drive-in, not drive-through, drive-in like Sonic. So, Jan Hammer, you win the music of this episode. Love to see it. Love to see it. Love to see if another check succeed. Then let's go down to the Fave Five. So, none of these are surprises. You know, things that I am very much someone who wears their heart on the sleeve. So obviously, in no particular order, but a little bit of a particular order. Actually, no, this is no particular order. It's just when it happened in the episode. Obviously, number one, Edward James almost in a Speedo. Number two, Trudy. Just Trudy in general, but also Trudy's outfit in this episode. Number three of my fave five, obviously, it's going to be counting the wads of cash in a briefcase full of cash surrounded by other legitimate businessmen. Number four, this actually should be number one, just if we're just going on chronological order, it's number four, Menton's condo. Please, 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 if you are parked, if you are listening at home, if you have not seen already, please go check out the gallery. You can find the link at viceandeasypodcast.com. You can find the link in the show notes that I put um, underneath in the description. Please check it out. It is geometric, lots of neon, lots of lights, lots of glass. I think there's like a nice little Shea Lounge chair there. Giant big screen TV, sound system, and then sliding doors that hide the bedroom full of silk sheets, full of hookers, full of champagne. Man, 1984, what a time. Last Fave Five, the super iconic dinner scene. I made a gif of it. I took pictures of it. Just great setup, great direction, great cinematography all around. And with that, we are at the end of the episode. Thank you for bearing with me. I know I was a little bit late today. Next week, I'm so excited. We are doing Smuggler's Blues. And then after that, you will hear me cry again once this podcast when we go over Rites of Passage. Because the second I watch that episode and I want, to know to, I want to know what love is by Foreigner comes on. I will start bawling. No reason why. I don't know why. I don't associate with anything that happened with my life. But just gets to me on that level. Which means Pam Greer is coming to town. All right. Speaking of, happy belated birthday to Phil Michael Thomas and Pam Greer, who were both born yesterday, May 26th. Once again, as always, thank you for listening. If you want more Vice and Easy, you can find me on Spotify. You can find me on Apple. You can find me on Google. Anywhere you get your podcasts, look for Vice and Easy. You can also find me on YouTube. 
You can find me on TikTok, find me on Instagram. And again, you can see everything on the website, adviceandeasypodcast.com. And big news, I just put a link tree in my Instagram. I do not have enough followers to put it on my TikTok. Also, if you are thinking about making your TikTok into a business TikTok account, please be warned that the music you use is completely different, that you cannot use popular songs. You can only use their curated list of songs that's kind of what's the difference um public domain like those kind of songs you don't won't get like the hit songs i was learning that when i was trying to make i was trying to put valerie and tubs in my happy birthday philip michael thomas tiktok so tiktok you will not be able to see the link tree but i made a beautiful link tree that you can see on the instagram that i'm very proud of again for everything just follow me advice and easy podcast And again, thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Come back next week. We're going to go over Smuggler's Blues. So excited. And don't forget, as always. Hey, man, Miami Wise is number one new show.